Welcome to the 11th podcast in our First Peter sermon series, Through the Fire. I'm Dan Rambeck, one of the elders at City on a Hill Church, located in Rosemount, Minnesota. Our service is live streamed from the Steeple Center every Sunday at 10 a.m. on both YouTube and Facebook. Paul Stiver will be continuing our series with a sermon called Household Grace. Welcome to those here. This uh, actually the room filled up a lot after we sat down, so there's a lot of faces that we didn't see. Uh, and welcome to those online. Hi, good to see you. Um, and so, yeah, this actually the last time that I preached, it was uh, it was mostly just to a camera. So this is nice to actually see human faces, uh, despite you know half of a human face, right? But the the eyes are important. You want to see that? I'd rather see this side than this side. So that's good. Uh, yeah, so uh, just, yeah, as Bruce said, just a little bit about me as we learn to navigate this thing that has been the bane of my existence. Here we go. All right, so a little bit about me. I, uh, yeah, I, I work at Hope Community Church. We have locations in uh, downtown Minneapolis, Lower Town St. Paul, the Lower Town neighborhood of St. Paul. It's kind of the downtown area. If you've ever been to a Saints game, our building is right there. And then uh, in Columbia Heights. In, uh, in, in Minneapolis. And so I, if you're familiar with the program, Hope does a program called the Leadership Development Institute, and I am a recent graduate of that. So I've completed three years as an intern, as a grunt, uh, and now I get to continue to do that service. Um, I graduated this year. This is my, my um, independent study, so it's kind of my capstone project at the end, which was how to build a leadership development program in a church with a cross-cultural emphasis and hoping to use that to plant churches. And so that's what this, we can do it. There we go. That's what this is for. Um, just this cycle of, yeah, so we start, you start with evangelism, you move toward uh, church planting and nurture, you develop leaders, and then you send leaders. And we're kind of in, it's just as far as my wife, Allison, and I, we're kind of in that phase of development and waiting to be sent. And um, and so we're in that kind of cycle right now. And uh, as, as this book, uh, Leading Across Culture, says, leadership development has always been at the heart of God's redemption plan. And what he means is that the church is a place to nurture and equip believers and that we aren't just here for ourselves, but that we want to reach our neighbors. We want to reach our communities. And so we raise people up not to just hoard them and, and keep them and enjoy them, but also to send them as well. So a little bit more about us. So we... Uh, I, we wore the masks for this photo. This is us. After my graduation, we went to the Grand Canyon. Allison planned a, a beautiful trip for us, and we went to the Grand Canyon. Uh, highly recommend. It's definitely one of the most beautiful sites, if not the most beautiful thing that the U.S. has to offer. I'd say it puts us up there with other worldly wonders. Uh, and then we just wore some of the photos. We just wore the masks so that when we look back, we can remember like, oh, that's right. That was 2020 when we did that. Uh, and then a little bit more about me. I was just confirmed as an elder at Hope Lower Town, which is our campus in Lower Town, St. Paul. And so I'm confirmed there and then hired on as a, as a pastoral resident. So I'm kind of working with our Leadership Development Institute and working as a resident myself with, again, eyes on church planting. It's just kind of a little bit tricky to plant a church in the midst of a global pandemic. So we're going to 
do this. I'm really excited about what God's had for that. So I'm doing a lot of work at our church in Lower Town, St. Paul. I'll actually be preaching there next week as well. And then just finally about us, and you didn't come here to hear about us, you came here to hear about Jesus. But lastly, we, we bought a house in the North End neighborhood of St. Paul. So if you look, I actually highlighted St. Paul neighborhoods in North End, the little fancy circle there. So we're about six minutes north of the capital in the North End neighborhood of St. Paul, if any of you are familiar. And that's our little our, our backyard patio that we put in this summer. Um, note to self, if you're a homeowner and you're thinking of doing a patio, don't do it in over the 4th of July weekend when it's 100 degrees every day. That's, that was a, a not the wisest choice. Um, but yeah, so we're, right now we're in our neighborhood. We're starting to get connected more as best we can and look into opportunities to serve. Um, but again, we came to hear about, uh, we didn't come to hear all about me. We came to hear about Jesus. And so uh, continuing on in the sermon series here, we are uh, in the sermon series Through the Fire in 1 Peter. And right now, so you can go ahead and open to 1 Peter if you've got a Bible handy. We're going to be moving into chapter 3. We're going to get into now uh, kind of a bit of a transition, the continuing of this household code uh, that Peter's taken us through. And last week, Bruce called us to, to just follow Jesus' footsteps. And I love the way that he said it, that not only follow his footsteps as our example, but he is the grace to do it, that he is how we do it. And we walk in his steps, not around suffering, but actually through suffering because God has something for us in it. And so today we're going to be looking at um, household grace. We're going to be thinking about household grace in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And, and my hope is that God's word is really going to get after our hearts today uh, and really drill down and, not, and really want to get into an application. So just to get into our passage here, it's 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It reads, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So one of the things that uh, I've been taught or it's been helpful for me to learn about studying the Bible is ask questions. Ask questions of the text. And Peter certainly sets us up for a few questions with some of his word choices. And so what be subject, what does it mean to be subject? Adorning. What does it look like to adorn yourself? Uh, what is this submission? What is that supposed to mean? And then, and weaker vessel. He uses this language of weaker vessel. That what can that mean? And so, as we look at what, what is Peter saying, we've got to consider then why. Why would he say this and what is he getting at? And I actually want to start with a quote from uh, Rebecca McLaughlin. She is an author who, who wrote a book called Confronting Christianity. And she talks through 12 different kind of problems or issues that people might have with, with the gospel and with what the Bible teaches. But uh, as we look at Peter's context, she says this, 
The Greco-Roman world was as much as two-thirds male due to maternal deaths in childbirth and infanticide of unwanted baby girls. But historical records suggest that the early Christian movement was as much as two-thirds female. There were doubtless many reasons for this, but one was that Christianity placed a value on women that the belief systems of the first and second century did not. Women were made in the image of God, jointly called to his service, and deserving of the love and sacrifice of their husbands. Christian women were allowed to marry later than was typical in Greco-Roman culture, and Christian men were called to be monogamous and faithful and to prioritize their wives' needs above their own. This was radical. And Christianity was ridiculed as a religion of women. And so just to, and not to, to gloss over everything that we just read in Peter, when he uses language like be subject or weaker vessel, but when we look at this, that God is actually doing something, if we think about the context, in the gospel, something new is happening that is directly confronting the culture. A culture where men ruled. And what he's doing, what she says is, is first of all, the gospel acknowledges that women are made in God's image. And what does that mean? It means that in the beginning, when God created human beings, they were the pinnacle of his creation. And they were meant to reflect him, to bear his likeness, and represent and display his glory across the globe. And so that when we hear things like weaker vessel, that can't mean lesser value. Because all human beings are made in God's image, which means God has stamped them and declared every person deserving of equal dignity, personhood, and worth. Secondly, she says that they're called to God's service. From that dignity, we see the dignity of being able to serve the living God. And then thirdly, and counterculturally, in the first and second century, these, that women, wives were deserving of the love and sacrifice of their husbands, that they weren't objects to be manipulated. They were women to be loved. And we see that. And so that's just getting us started as we look at this passage. And we'll get to our first point here, which is, as we see, God's grace is adorned by our inner life. This adorned, this, if you think about Christmas tree, right? We're putting on display. Uh, and, and just a quick note before we get into this. If, you are, uh, if you're not married, this passage is, is about wives and husbands. But if you're not married, if marriage is something you desire, marriage is something maybe down the road for you, uh, that there, that first and foremost, if you're single, you're not less than. And you're not incomplete. I think sometimes in the Christian church it can seem that way. But then we think about the person of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was, if we're made in the image of God, Jesus was the image of God. And he lived as a single person. He was not incomplete. And neither are you if you're single. And maybe one day you will be married. Maybe one day this passage will become more relevant for you. But lastly, I really think that God has principles for all of us even in these specific passages. And so this one first is that God's grace is adorned by our inner life, that our inner life impacts our outer life and it can put God's grace on display. So Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And so one thing we see in this passage is there seems to imply in verse 1, and Bruce talked about some of the context of, of where First Peter is taking place, how it's being written. It seems to imply that these are wives whose husbands do not believe the gospel like they do. These are unconverted husbands. And so he's saying, even if some do not obey, your conduct will draw them to the gospel. And so that's, that's one thing, because we ask, who is this addressing? Who is Peter talking to? And that seems to be directed more toward wives who have non-believing husbands. And yet he continues and seems to then apply the principles to all wives. When he talks about this conduct and this adorning. And so this is where we're getting now an imperative. Peter's giving commands, or he's saying, here's how we should respond to the good news of the gospel in our conduct. And so as we move on, we're getting this now because of Christ. This is a huge, this is the big shift in the New Testament, but it's also a huge emphasis point in 1 Peter. The indicative, this is from the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, the indicative of Christ's innocence and non-retaliatory response to suffering becomes an imperative for the community. The indicative then the imperative. And what does he mean? What does that mean? Indicative can just mean facts. The reality of Christ's life, death, and resurrection means that we should respond like this. And that's, again, that's the difference in the new and the old. Because in the old, they're working to gain God's favor. In the new, we're working in response to God's favor. That, that Christ has done it, and now we should do it. And so when we look at these, we get all citizens, we get servants, we get wives, we see these be subjects. But it moves it to be subject like Christ. For all, the all, was, all citizens being subject to the emperor, like Christ. For servants, be subject like Christ, even when masters were unjust. And Peter seems to put this emphasis on even in the face of injustice, Endure suffering well, and you actually are a testimony to those who don't believe when you do that. And again, wives. So when we look to Christ, and Bruce nailed this last week, we look to him as true life and as the true way. He's not just an example. He's our empowerment. But he goes on and he gives us some of this, right? He tells us, be subject like Christ in, in chapter 2. Why? Because that's what free people in Christ who fear God, do. That we respect authority, but we fear God. And so we respond in our freedom. And servants, be subject like Christ. Why? Because He suffered for you. And your endurance of suffering is gracious in God's sight. And Peter hit on this, or I'm sorry, Bruce hit on this last week. When we get these household codes, the radical thing here is, these are directed to servants and wives. They would not have done that in Roman household codes. But here's the gospel dignifying all human beings. And God's eyes are on that servant who endures. And similarly, wives, be subject like Christ. 
Because your inner person and conduct is precious in God's sight. God sees down deep. He cares who we are behind closed doors. And he's going to equip us with the grace to live in that way as well. And so we got to continue with that thought. So uh, from, from the new dictionary, or sorry, the uh, commentary on the New Testament use of the old. It says, for Peter to address wives and slaves regarding ethical and moral matters was already a breach of the social order, of the, which was uncommon in the Greco-Roman world. It gives to wives and slaves a moral responsibility and significance that few in the empire would have acknowledged. They wouldn't have even recognized people as human beings. Yet the unconverted husbands are in a position to complain since the conduct are not in a position to complain. Sorry, I misquoted that. Since the conduct advocated by the apostle as he addresses their wives actually affirms the husband's authority. But the motivation that Peter insists on, however, is not the preservation of Roman social structure, but rather what is of great worth in God's sight, what is very precious when God looks on it. He says, the authority and example of the crucified and risen Redeemer was thus making an impact in Roman culture, but in a strangely anomalous fashion, in a masterful move, Peter both upholds and subverts the social order. That's Karen Job's commentary on that. And so what we see is this, our inner lives are precious to God. They matter to God. It's no longer religiosity where just, it just kind of matters how well we dress up. That God actually wants to reclaim and renew all of us. We give, he gives people moral responsibility and significance. Our actions matter. And our grace then is adorned by our inner life. That since we matter to God, and since He's calling us to this, He's going to meet us with the grace to live it out. And so it's not going to be necessarily for social order that we live in these ways, but for the advance of the gospel, to put the light of Jesus on display because our lives have been changed. This is the beauty of it. God gives the grace. He sends his spirit into our hearts that we aren't called to just obey the rules on our own, just buckle down. Let me just try really hard, God. But he's going to equip us. And he wants us to have this true adornment. This is a a uh, picture of supposedly the Hope Diamond, or it's like it's the if you know the movie Titanic, it's the heart of the ocean. That's what I tried to grab. But we're thinking about this true adornment, right? Because Peter says, "Let the adorning of the hit be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." This, the Hope Diamond, would be probably considered the pinnacle of outward adornment if you're wearing that, because it's worth. $250 million at last estimate. It's at the Smithsonian right now. It's a 45 plus carat blue diamond from India. And just real quick, the passage, when, when Peter says that, he's not saying jewelry's bad. But he's saying what really matters to God is who you are inside. And that we should live to put that on display, not ourselves and how we adorn ourselves. It's saying that Jesus is good and he wants our lives to indicate his goodness. And we look at this imperishable beauty. God is a God who looks on the heart in the Old Testament. The first king they get, King Saul, tall guy, chiseled jaw, beautiful man apparently, according to the Bible. But God wants David, the man after his own heart. He doesn't want 
Saul ends up being rejected. So God wants the imperishable beauty of Christ in us to be on display. And he's going to make that happen by the giving of his son. And so McLaughlin concludes, where does this leave me? A highly educated, ambitious, leadership-oriented woman who happens also to be married with three children. Thank God it leaves me with the joyful, life-giving task that the first century Christian women took on. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. For me today, that takes the form of writing and speaking from a Christian perspective, but this public ministry is no more precious to the Lord than the day-to-day ministry of millions of women across the world who are sharing the gospel with neighbors, friends, family members. This is how we women will truly change the world. So God's called us into something so significant that the inner conduct of our lives and the outer words we choose, we get the task of testifying to the gospel of His grace. That our inner life gets to put God's grace on display. That's how we truly change the world. But it looks small. So God's grace then makes us people of faith and not fear. God's grace makes us people of faith and not fear. Peter continues, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This verse is kind of slightly confusing, but let's get into it. What is Peter referencing? First of all, Sarah calling him Lord. He seems to be referencing commentators cite Genesis 18.12. And so what Peter's doing, though, he's giving us an example. He's giving us a moral example of how to follow gospel conduct. And so he says, so basically what Peter's doing is biblical theology. He's taking what has the Bible said about this in the past as we've built up to the story now. And so we go to Genesis 18 and And it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? She's talking about God's promise that she, in her old age, would bear Abraham a child. And she laughs. This promised seed of Isaac, if we recall, in in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, and sin enters the world. And God declares to the serpent that one day a seed of a woman is coming who will crush his head, who's going to do away with the devil's works. And so then right at the beginning of the story, we're looking for that son. Where is he coming? Where is that promised child? In Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham he's going to give him a son. But he waits till they're very old and they've made some other mistakes along the way. And it's so ridiculous that God would do it, that Sarah laughs to herself. But then as we continue on, even in this story, it says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And it continues, And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. 
And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And then we read that passage and it's, people are going to laugh over me. We kind of take that, it seems weird, it seems like they're mocking. They're rejoicing. This child, this miracle child has come into the world. We rejoice and if we recall, that happens again in the New Testament. With Elizabeth and Mary and a miracle child, two miracle children, John the Baptist and Jesus, that the true Isaac is going to come. And so when we get to the New Testament, and this true Isaac has come, this child of promise who's actually the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come, he's here. Finally, that son we've been waiting for is here. The one who's going to bear God's wrath, who's going to conquer sin and death and the devil is here. The one who's going to make all things new is here, but first he's going to go to a cross. And then when he goes to that cross, he's going to rise. And he's going to send to heaven and he's going to send the Holy Spirit to make people new. And that's who we are. Galatians chapter 3 says, Now before faith came, before all this happened, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. People were waiting. That's why we rejoice when Christ comes. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This idea of guardian is like uh, uh, the child who was going to inherit all of his father's land. But before he could do that, he had to be trained up by a disciplinarian and a schoolmaster so that he would be the kind of person that could actually manage the land. But now that that faith has come, that guardian's removed. We've grown to maturity. How? Because of Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Abraham's offspring are those who believe the gospel. And in the same way, children of Sarah, as Peter references, are those who believe the gospel and who live it out. And they do it because they're people of faith and not fear. And how do they do that? They look back and see that the God who promised the Son in Genesis 3, when everything went haywire, has delivered the Son and He preserves His people. That God met our greatest need in the person of Jesus. And if he's done that, and if he's done all these things along the way to keep me, that he will keep me. So Peter says, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What is he saying? He's saying walking in obedience to God means we've got nothing to be afraid of. Because Christ has done it, he dwells in me, and he watches over me. And so when we fear God in that reverence, we honor him. We put him on display. When I was, uh, <laughs> see if anybody, raise your hand if you remember this. No fear. Yeah. So when I was like middle school into high school age, for some reason, no fear was like the popular brand. And uh, I actually think that kind of wouldn't mind getting that shirt now. But uh, 
But why no fear, right? This, this was fad clothing. But when we look at this, right, this isn't something we muster up. I just got to be fearless. Okay, there's a tough circumstance. That's okay. Let me just be fearless. No, we look to God. Because of God's grace, if he sent the Son, then I'm okay in Jesus. That my circumstances don't define my security. This is what Peter said to all citizens. It's what he said to servants. And now he's saying it to wives. As the song says, those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. So when we look at the gospel, we can live in a way that fears God rightly. And then from that place, we can do good. And so we've gotten six verses, which again, highlights the significance of what Peter's doing, that he's really going to take time to speak to women. We've gotten six verses on women, but now we'll get one verse for guys, uh, for husbands, right? So, but this, this point, this third point is that we are co-heirs of the grace of life. That God has sent forth his son and made eternal life available and that when we receive it, we receive it together. And so he says to husbands, Likewise, husbands, in the same way, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So now we see it. All of these. All citizens be subject like Christ. Servants be subject like Christ. Wives be subject like Christ. Husbands, live in an understanding way, showing honor. Like Christ. What does it mean to live in an understanding way? Well, I was thinking about it. It certainly means listening. It definitely means listening and uh, not listening to respond, but listening to hear. Serving, delighting in, heralding, honoring them, showing them that they matter. Putting their needs first. How? Because Christ did. And why? Because they have been covered with the same blood of Jesus that you have. So we live in an understanding way, showing honor to women. And then he says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does that mean? I think what it means is that God cares about how we live behind closed doors, husbands. That husbands who are, are not showing honor to their wives, treating them with dignity, listening to them, moving toward them in an understanding way, that actually then when you communicate with God, there's a disconnect because you're not living it out. God cares about who we are in the inner person. But then you might say, what's the big deal? I mean, really, do I really need the gospel to have a healthy marriage, to have a, a good inner life? Do I really need to have faith? And here's where we've got to go back to the problem. In Genesis chapter 3, sin has entered the world and God is unpacking the curse. And he says to the husband and to the wife, or he says to Eve actually, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And this is significant for us. He says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, 
but he shall rule over you. He says, because sin has come into the world and into your heart, and the harmony's been broken in the relationships that you had with me, the relationships that you had with each other, and actually also the relationship we have with creation has been disrupted by your sin. That's the problem. And because of that, now you are going to lack respect for your husband. You're going to desire to rule over him. And he's going to be domineering and closed off because of this sin. There's a rift. There's disharmony. There's a problem, a fracture in our inner lives and our outer conduct. And when I think about this, uh, we've been married over four years, and I think about the root of the, the problem is always this. When we have conflict, it's because I might feel disrespected, and it's because Allison might not feel loved. And now, that's, it's more complex than that. But I swear the root every time that I'm offended is because I don't feel respected. Boy, and I bet living in an understanding way, I feel like that means i got to share that with her. And in the same way, when she shares that she might not feel loved, I've got to receive that and show honor to her by listening to that. But the sin is the problem. So we go back to our passage and all of these imperatives, right? Peter's saying, because of Jesus, do this and this and this. He says, be subject. He says, don't let your adorning be external. Have a gentle and quiet spirit. Don't fear anything that is frightening. And to husbands, he says, live in an understanding way. Show honor. But because of sin, is that the case? No. Be subject? No. External adorning? No. I want to, see, I want to present. Gentle and quiet spirit? No. A right fear of the Lord? No. Sin has disrupted that. Husbands, living in an understanding way? No. I'm just caring about me. Showing honor? No. I want my needs met. But when we look at this, we see that our marriages and our lives are about Jesus. From last week, again, we go back to it. It says, Christ, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I hope this message isn't just some therapeutic, hey, hey, let's just apply these steps and we'll be better husbands and wives. No. We need to see that we need to be covered in the blood of Jesus. Our sin is the problem and we need an atonement. And here Peter says, he took it on the tree that we might die with his death and be raised to new life, live in righteousness. That because we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we can dance together in his presence. We can show honor. We can submit. We can care for. We can love. And when we do that, we put him on display. Why? Because Jesus is the one who deals with the sin. Be subject. Jesus was subject to the death on a cross. Have internal beauty. The, the Bible describes Jesus as not having an external beauty that we would look on him. But in that, he was willing to be marred so that we might become beautiful. What about being gentle? Well, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He went 
to the cross with his mouth shut in gentleness. Fear, he's the one who fully revered the Father his entire life, walking in complete obedience so that he could pay the penalty for our sins and that we can become righteous in him. Live in an understanding way. He took on flesh. We sang about it. This is the miracle of the Christian faith that God would send His Son to become like us and take all of our sin and nail it to the cross. And then we can show honor. Why? Because God has shown us that honor that we mattered so much to God that He redeemed us. He bought us with costly love. So do we need the Gospel to have a healthy marriage or to live with a beautiful inner life, do we really need to have faith? Yes. Sin has corrupted our hearts. We need the blood of Jesus. We need His imperishable beauty. And we need the gospel to live this courageously. Because when we take these steps of obedience, it can be frightening. But when we look to Jesus, we're strengthened. So only then in Him can we be courageous. Only then in Him can we be husbands who pursue in love, who seek to understand instead of reply who serve and honor and delight in. Only then can we be wives who know we're okay in Jesus, who can listen to husbands, respect them, honor them. And really, again, we have to remember this. My heart was full coming here today. Uh, it's just so great to see God's people gathered, even in the midst of the ups and downs of a year like this, and listening to that old, old story. We've got to remember how loved we are. We've got to remember that. That God cares so much about us. That he looks at our lives and they can be precious to him. Highly valued. And we know that because he sent his son to die on a cross for us. That if God was willing to give the son that he is delighted in from all eternity so that he could purchase me back, I am so loved. We actually say that from time to time. Uh, we'll just catch each other. We'll look at each other and then just say, hey, you are so loved. Not because of what you did, but just because you're loved. And that's the beauty of the gospel. God loves us because he loves us. So then because of that, we can take some application points away. First, do you realize that your inner life is very precious to God? That God doesn't necessarily care about as much how we look on the outside. He wants us to have that imperishable beauty of his son. And then how can you trust in his grace to transform you? Is there something that about who you are behind closed doors that you don't put out to the world, but you do want God to change? How can you trust him to transform you? Can you seek him in his word? Can you share that with someone? Can you seek guidance? And secondly, what is something you're afraid of this week? I, I, I feel like it's there's a, almost a way that we can be trafficked in fear right now if you read the news in certain ways and different things. But, but Peter calls us not to be afraid and to have our fear set on God. Are you afraid of, of sharing something hard with someone? Are you afraid of admitting that you're struggling? Or maybe you're just afraid of God. Maybe you've never trusted in Him before. And today is the day that you can see his son crucified for your sin. And you can put your faith in him. 
And then how can you look to God and take a courageous action step? Knowing that because Jesus has done it, now we respond to his grace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just come before you in praise. In acknowledgement of your goodness. That you love us because you love us. That when we look at the cross of your son, we are met with immeasurable dignity and worth and value because you love us. And then you put your eyes on us. That you want to see our inner lives and our households filled with your grace. And God, so we pray for that. Would you change us to be more like you? Would you help us to see that we don't need to fear when we are caught in sin, but we can actually run to you as far as the east is from the west? You don't remember our sins. You love us and look at us like your son. So help us then when we are uncovered, when we are shown to be sinners, to run to your grace and your mercy to confess and repent and rejoice that the blood of Jesus covers our sins. God, help us all uh, and be honored as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing our series in 1 Peter. We also have multiple podcasts to check out, including Genesis, Crossroads, Ruth, FaithWorks, and Glory. For upcoming news and events, check out our website at mycityonahill.org.